It's uh, from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, and verses 9 to 14. That's Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. And the passage is entitled, The Parable of the Pharisee and the Tax Collector. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Luke 18, uh, before we get into the meat of the passage, let's just uh, commit this part of our time together in prayer. Father, we just pray now that as we come and look at this part of your word, uh, your voice to us, we pray that uh, you would open our hearts, you would open our ears, you would help us to be sensitive to uh, what you have to say to us through your spirit, uh, from your word. Father, help us to uh, latch on to the things that you want us to take away. And may they uh, have an impact in our lives. Maybe we, may we be willing to apply these as you want us to apply them uh, in the days ahead. In your name. Amen. So... Pharisee and the Tax Collector. Um, I was given this title, Two Sinners in Church. It fits. It's not necessarily what I would have called it, um, but it, it does fit. And we're going to look at, particularly, this idea of sin. We're actually going to follow on, really, from what Colin um, spoke about this, uh, this morning. Um, in fact, many of his uh, titles I could have used, um, but I haven't. Um, it's a familiar passage um, most of us will be very familiar with it most of us would have heard it preached on a number of times it's uh, one that is uh, based in a familiar lo location a temple it's got familiar protagonists uh, the dreaded Pharisee and the dreaded tax collector dreaded for two different reasons, and a familiar action, uh, one of prayer and men praying. As parables go, it's a simple illustration uh, that provides us an example of biblical truth in action. It's not one of those parables that tells a story that gives us a simile of um, what some biblical truth is like, or an opposite day 
an everyday observation, uh, like the lost coin that, that gives us an example of how we should react to biblical truth, but it is an example of what biblical tr- of biblical truth in action, and very particularly in this um, parable of how God responds to us coming to him. Uh, before we uh, go a little bit deeper into uh, the passage, I just want to uh, relate a an anecdote uh, that come, came to mind as I was preparing this, um, and I was pulling out what um, the Lord wanted me to be uh, sharing, or what I felt the Lord wanted me to be sharing. Uh, year seven, uh, maths class, uh, the local um, secondary school. Uh, maths teacher was Mr. White. I can't remember the exact nature of the um, exercise we were to do, but it involved drawing lots of triangles. Um, I have a f- suspicion it was, we had a, a line of a certain length and we had to make as many triangles from that one length line as possible, uh, breaking it into three sections of, of different lengths. And very quickly I had a paper full of these triangles, including a triangle that was created from three lines of which two of them made up the exact same length as the third line. Now, those of you who will be able to picture that in your mind, maybe it was a 10-centimeter line and I had a 4-centimeter line and a 6-centimeter line, that doesn't make a triangle. But for the rest of that class, I argued with the teacher, Mr. White, that what I had drawn was accurate and I used increasingly fine tools to prove that to him. I left that class still disagreeing with him and never admitted that I was wrong and that it wasn't actually possible and that my fine instruments, increasingly fine instruments, and my increasingly accurate drawing did nothing but prove me wrong. So let's go back to the passage. It's a relatively straightforward passage. There's uh, one scenario. We've got these two men going to the temple. There's two people, these two men, the Pharisee, the tax collector. There's two concurrent and similar actions happening. Each man is doing their own action, They're similar. We'll see that there are some differences. And they're happening at the same time. There's no direct interaction between the two men. There's a reference between them. But they are doing their own thing. And then ultimately there are two results. One returns home, we're told, justified by Jesus. And... The second, by inference, returns home not justified. Moreover, Luke tells us that the reason for the telling of this parable is that to some who were confident of their own righteousness, there in verse 9, and looked down on everyone else. That was the reason Jesus told this parable, he saw these men who were confident of their own righteousness and who looked down on everyone else. 
That is the issue that Jesus is trying to address. And in verse 14, Jesus himself explains that their attitude really isn't one to which God is going to respond favorably. That's his uh, conclusion. So it seems a relatively straightforward parable. It seems a relatively straightforward truth. It seems a relatively straightforward uh, lesson that we can take away. What more do we need to learn? What more can we learn? Uh, Don't we just need to do what Jesus is clearly encouraging uh, those who are around him? Uh, That they shouldn't look down on others, that they should be humble, uh, and that if they do that, God will answer them, he will hear them, and he will justify them, forgive them, make them right with him. I think there's a little bit more that we can, we can take away from this, and I think it digs a little bit deeper and goes more to the heart of why uh, the Pharisee responded the way he did, why the tax collector acted and responded the way he did. And maybe for those of us who have been walking with the Lord longer, maybe have something to, that we need to refresh our minds over, refresh our understanding of. I want us to explore three different relationships that I think we can see happening in uh, this passage. One is our relationship with sin. One is our relationship with other sinners. And one is our relationship with a God who forgives sin. All the way through the passage, there are two things happening. So we've got two men. We'll look look briefly at the differences between those two men and how they act during the story, how they come in, how they're referred to. They pray two different prayers. We'll look at those differences. And then we're going to look at the two outcomes and why those outcomes are so connected in with the events that Jesus tells. So let's look at, look at the two men. First of all, the Pharisee. Pharisees, I'm sure many of us will be familiar, were the religious leaders of the day. Uh, they get a fairly bad press in Scripture. Um, they are very much seen as those who are the religious leaders who create all the rules. They see themselves as following all the rules. They look down on everybody else. It's basically what this passage is about. But there would have, these religious leaders would have been pillars of their communities. Some of them would not have been as bad as others in biblical terms. Some of them would, would have been good eggs. They were established and respected members of society And this one decides to go to the temple to pray. It's part of what he does. It's part of being a Pharisee. 
is part of living out the law. He's not doing something that those around him wouldn't expect. Once he gets to the temple, he stands by himself. Now, this part, uh, this part of the passage, the implication here is that he's standing sort of front and center by himself. It's not that uh, he's standing away from everybody else um, to one side, to one corner. That's what we will see that the tax collector is doing. Um, but the Pharisee is front and center, clearly visible, not part of the mediocrity, not part of the crowd, but he is still in full view of those around him. What about the tax collector? Well, the tax collector, again, he's a turncoat, he's a collaborator. He's one of those uh, Jews that has decided that he can cope with being a lackey for the Romans. He is likely skimming from the taxes, taking more than is required from his fellow Jews in taxes. Indeed, the Pharisees in Mark 2, 15 to 16, very much see tax collectors as sinners. However, he's still a Jew, and we still see him in this situation going to the temple. You may not have expected to see him there. Certainly a lot of the people of his day would have been a little bit surprised, probably. But again, not all tax collectors were as bad as each other. Some of them would have still been devout Jews, even if they were serving the Romans and seen by their fellow Jews as turncoats. So this Jew, this tax collector, this outcast from regular society, goes to the temple, and he also goes and stands at a distance. That implies that he's by himself. It implies that he's in a corner, maybe. Maybe a darkened corner where people can't see him, where people aren't going to bump into him. There's a whole different sense of who this man is and why he's there and his attitude as he stands in the temple to that of the Pharisee. He doesn't want to be seen. He's there for a particular purpose and it doesn't involve other people. He doesn't look up. You get the impression from the way verse 11 and 12 read that the Pharisee is there and he's looking up. He's, he's watching everybody look at him and hear him and respond to what he's praying. Whereas the tax collector has his head bowed. He doesn't want to catch people's eyes. He doesn't want to look up to heaven. There's a sense of shame and sorrow and a sense of unworthiness that he, he shows. And that's underlined by the fact at the end, in the middle of verse 13, just before he prays, but he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast. 
an indication of just what he was feeling, of just his attitude in the temple as he starts to pray. So those are the two men. Now let's move to looking at the prayers. What's the prayer of the Pharisee? The Pharisee prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Let's work through this a bit, a step at a time. Starts off with praying, God. The whole sense of this prayer is that that's sort of an add-on, a bit like we would add, add please on to the end of some of our sentences. It's almost like a sort of a brief nod in uh, God's direction. After all, he's in God's house. But everything that comes after it is very much focused on him and doesn't focus on God. His reference to God is nothing but a passing comment or a token gesture. No less than four times during the course of, of that verse, those two verses, does he use the word I. I thank you that I am not like other people. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. His focus is on himself. His focus is on what he's got that others don't. His focus is on what he can see is good about himself. His thanks to God, if he's really focused on God at all, is again simply a nod. Everything that comes after that is talking about how he is not like other people. And that his actions are what makes him good, makes him righteous. What follows is a catalogue of plus points. It's all about what I've done. There's also no request. There is no reference to what he needs of God or what he's going to give to God. It's all about his state at that time in his eyes and how he manages to continue to uh, live ways that obey the rules that he thinks he needs to obey. What about the prayer of the tax collector? The tax collector also starts off by praying God. But again, the sense of that whole prayer gives you to the impression that he is directly addressing God. He recognizes who he's speaking to. He understands who he is speaking to. And his words are for the person that he's speaking to, God. There's a reverence and fear that comes through those words that doesn't come through the words of the Pharisee. 
It's a prayer of, that is more of a plea. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a lot shorter. Not that our prayers necessarily need to be short, but there is a sense in which he has something to say, he has something to say to God, and he is going to say, say that prayer. Have mercy on me. There is a request. There is a recognition of his state before God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. A recognition that he needs something of God, that he can't get elsewhere. So that's the two prayers. What about the two outcomes? Verse 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, this man being the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The tax collector was justified. He had been made right with God. Why was he made right with God? Why did he respond to the tax collector's prayer? To the manner of the man? He was justified because God could fulfill the man's need. The man recognized his need. He came to the right place to see that need fulfilled. And because he prayed that prayer... God could fulfill that need. What about the Pharisee? Well, what has the Pharisee actually asked of God? What response does God need to give? There is no question that's been asked. There's no request that's been put to God. Instead, God is faced with a man who has regaled those around him with all the positives that he can see in his life that he is responsible for. God has nothing to offer because nothing has been requested of him. The man will leave in the same state that he arrived. The problem is the Pharisee can't see what that state is. Jesus uses the, this, the extremes of this parable, and they are extremes. He uses an arrogant Pharisee. There were many people between sort of a medium-placed ordinary person going into the temple and the arrogance displayed by the Pharisee. Somebody who should have known better, who showed those around him that he was religious that he knew God, that he trusted God, that he followed God. And on the other hand, an utterly repentant, ashamed tax collector, who for most people of the day would have seen as a sinner. Not only that, but he, Jesus uses the dwelling place of God for this to take place. The temple. And he uses probably the most intimate 
example of how we relate with God, that of prayer, of conversation, of speaking directly to Father God. He uses these examples, this extreme set of circumstances, to highlight that we should be recognizing our sinfulness, taking ownership of it, and seeking God's mercy. To highlight that we should be measuring ourselves against God's standard, not others. That we should be relating to God his way, not ours. We all sit somewhere between the Pharisee and the tax collector. I suspect that none of us quite make it to one side or the other. I think there are three questions that, uh, or three relationships that we actually need to explore as a result of looking at this uh, parable. Gonna go. Should be. That's it. Uh, what is our relationship with sin, with our sin? And the next one. What is our relationship with others, uh, other sinners? And the final one, a sin-forgiving God. Let's look at the first one. What is our relationship with our sin? I think we have to ask ourselves a series of questions that come out of this passage. Do we see our own sin, especially as we mature in our faith? The Pharisee could not see that he was a sinner. The tax collector was convinced, utterly convinced that he was a sinner. In fact, so much so that he was broken. As we grow in our faith, it often becomes very difficult because we see the changes in our own lives. We see as we start to become more, a little bit more day by day like Christ. Maybe there are particular times in our lives when we recognize that more, more specifically. But that can lead quite often, quite often to us missing our own sin. Do we recognize how offensive our sin is to God? Do we try to minimize our sin? Do we try to grade our sin? That's a particular challenge for those of us who have been walking with the Lord for a long time. Maybe there are particular sins that we've struggled with over the years. But we've kind of got on top of it, and we feel we've managed, we've got there. The problem is, quite often, there's still more work to be done. When the stonemason starts working at, at a block of marble or whatever to create a fantastic work, artwork, he often starts off by cutting off huge chunks of stone. They're not... Uh, small bits of equipment that he's using to knock it off. But as, he, as the shape of the final work starts to come through, 
he uses smaller and more and finer materials because there's less material that needs to be taken off. Right up to the point where they're polishing it with the finest grade sandpaper that you can find. And they'll do that for hours and hours and hours. That's the same with us. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. While we live in this life, while we have not yet been taken to glory, while we have not, while Christ has not yet returned, there will be parts of our lives that fall short of the glory of God, that fall short of his standards. And that's something that we need to remember. That's something that we need to recognize. That's something that we constantly need to return to and examine ourselves. John was um, sharing at the Lord's table this morning how that we need to examine ourselves and how important uh, the uh, Lord's table is for doing that very thing, for recognizing not only the grace of God, we need to remember that the tax collector went home forgiven, went home justified, made right with God. But to be made right with God, we need to be able to see our sin. We need to recognize it for what it is. We need to be willing to own up to it. We need to own our own sin, not avoid it, not ignore it, not diminish it. Are we repentant? How do we respond to our sin? Are we repentant? The tax collector saw his sin. We're not told what his sin was. The Pharisee told us everything that made him good. His fasting, his giving, the fact that he's not doing all those evil sins that those around him, the robbers and the adulterers, etc., are doing. But the tax collector, there's no specific sin mentioned. He is just conscious that he is a sinner and he needs God's forgiveness. He needs God's mercy. Paul talks himself being the worst of sinners in 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 16. And James in one, uh, in James one twenty two says, uh, "Do not merely listen to the world and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but who but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it." They will be blessed in what they do. God's intention is for us to see our sin and to respond the right way, which is to come to him and ask his forgiveness. Come to him, ask for his mercy, and then ask him to help us deal with that sin as we go forward in our lives. Second question. 
What is our relationship with, our, with other sinners? This was the heart, really, of, of the problem of those around uh, Jesus, as he said, told this parable. They looked at, what, at those around them and said, well, we're not as, good, as bad as them. But again, their understanding was that this one sin is, better than, is worse than another. And that actually the sins that they did, things that made them feel uncomfortable, that they did, wasn't actually that bad. Do we compare ourselves to those around us? Do we see ourselves in, in the light of others' success or failure at overcoming sin? We are all sinners. We are all susceptible to doing that which God, which offends God. None of us is able to resist that. The only times we can resist that is with God's help. It doesn't matter who we are, what our status in life is, how long we've walked with the Lord. The problem is that if we look at others and start to judge ourselves according to those around us and think of ourselves better than others, there's a distinct potential that we undermine the work of the Spirit in our lives. The work of the Spirit in our lives is to gradually convict us of our sin, to help us understand how we need to change to become more like Christ. If we go around looking at others and thinking of ourselves better, we're actively seeking to undermine that work. What is our relationship with other sinners? Do we identify with them as sinners? With the same struggles, with the same handicaps, with the same solution? An extension of that would be to recognize that as part of God's family, we can be praying for one another in that struggle, in that challenge. If we're all in the same boat, let's work together. Let's pray for one another. Whatever my struggles might be, whatever the battles I face, my brothers and sisters will face them as well. They may not be in exactly the same situation, in exactly the same area of life, but those battles will be there. If I understand that they are sinners as much as I'm a sinner, or I'm a sinner as much as they're a sinner, then surely that should make me more understanding of their position, of their challenges, and be willing to put the time in to pray for them, to support them, to help them, to be on hand when they need it. Finally, what's our relationship with a sin-forgiving God? Do we submit ourselves to God's perspective? The Pharisee could not see himself as a sinner, or at least 
as a sinner that really had much that needed to be brought to God. Much more that needed to be worked on in his life. And God's saying, hmm. What about the, uh, the tax collector? The tax collector knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly how God saw him. He could see exactly how God saw the activities of his life. The thoughts of his head, the words, the attitudes. Do we submit ourselves to God's will? That's what the tax collector did. God's will was for those who are against him to come to him and ask for forgiveness. To come and throw themselves on his mercy. Do we do that? Do we do that with the various issues that God shows us in our own lives that need to be worked on? Do we submit ourselves to what God wants us to do with those things? And a final question on, in this. Do we seek God's help in our lives to do that? The Pharisee didn't go to God for anything. In fact, he went to God to tell him all the good things that he was doing. The tax collector went and said, I can't do anything. I need your mercy. And God gave it to him. So how do we apply this? What would our lives be like? What would our thought lives be like? What would our prayer lives be like? Our devotional lives? What would our life within the church fellowship be if we reflected the tax collector? I think that's a question that we need to ask ourselves individually. What does that look like in everyday life? Do we need to put some things into our lives where we constantly just ref evaluate where we stand before the Lord. Evaluate our sinfulness. Not so that we heap coals on our, our heads or walk around with an upturned smile, depressed because of our depravity, but because we want to be like Christ. Because we want to reflect him because we want to meet God's standard and we know that we don't. But it's what we want. It's where we want to get to. We know we need his help. And so we need to be able to identify where we need that work, our lives worked on, where we need his help. And we need to do it recognizing that it is to him that we come and ask for mercy that we come repentant for those things, however small they might seem to us, however small they might seem to our society, 
however small they might seem to those around us, and say, this isn't what God wants. I know that, and I need to fix it. And God, I need your help to fix it. Pharisee and the tax collector. We all fit in one camp or the other. The question is, which one do we fit in? And maybe in what areas of our lives do we fit one or the other? And how are we going to work on those things and respond to what God's will is for us? So what's our relationship with sin? What's our relationship with other sinners? And what's our relationship with the sin-forgiving God? Let me pray and then I'll hand back to Steve. Father, your word is truth. Father, your word is there to help us to shine a light on our lives, to shine a light on what it is that to follow you, to shine a light into what it means to be part of your kingdom, to shine a light on the fact that we need to be part of your kingdom. Father, we pray that you will have spoken tonight, not because of the words that I've said particularly, but because you have something to say to the hearts of each one here, each one listening in online. Father, help us to hear you. And as we go into this week, help us to respond to your voice and your call on our lives. In your name. Amen.